The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com dash spirit park. Yeah, it's called conversations with Jeff, not screaming matches. Yeah, yeah I, 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 you and I do not agree on Calvinism. But look how nice we are to each other. I think it's going to really shock a lot of people, thrill a lot of people. A lot of people are going to have to do some soul searching. It's like, you know what? What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on mm-hmm. when you should be out there winning people for Jesus. Right. Thank you for the job you're doing. Thanks for being willing to address these kind of issues. They're vital to the church. I feel sorry for what's coming your way, but God bless you, man. It's it's a good, healthy conversation, and, and let's keep growing together in the Lord. People won't change unless they hear the truth, though. And so we need to know the truth, uh, speak the truth. And then the last one I would say is that we need to stay in the truth, uh, no matter what the consequences are. Okay, everybody, welcome to uh, today's episode of Conversations with Jeff. Uh, we are going live right now here on Facebook. Uh, before I introduce our guest really quick, just wanted to remind you, we do have our uh, first book that we published, Social Injustice. we got 12 different authors, um, you know, great lineup, ever, you know, really breaking it down the issue of social justice, comparing it to Scripture. Um, and, you know, because that's the most important thing that we can do is compare everything with Scripture, make sure that what we believe lines up. Uh, it's supporting the gospel and that sort of thing. So uh, you guys can go to socialinjusticebook.com. Check that out. Uh, if you use the code Jeff, you get 10% off of that book. Um, and then just you know, just a reminder as well, we've, we're putting out new podcasts pretty much every day. Uh, tomorrow we've got uh, Dustin Faulkner from Battlefront Southgate. He'll be back on tomorrow. Monday we'll have Judd Saul, um, who is the director of the Enemies Within the Church documentary. Uh, so we're going to have a good conversation about that as well. Um, t- today's guest is Bishop Robert E. Smith Sr. Really excited to have you on. Been looking forward to uh, this podcast with you. And thanks for joining us today on Conversations. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. Good to be with you. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, and, and one of the things that I really wanted to do, um, and I was telling you before we went on as well, you know, with the first time that we have somebody on the podcast— I always like to give them the opportunity to share their testimony, how God saved them, you know, how God's been working in your life, that sort of thing, just so that way people can kind of get to know you and your story and that sort of thing. So uh, I'd love to hear your your testimony. Well, I can give you the super abbreviated, abbreviated edition. Sure. Okay. Now in a little small town of Arkansas back in 1959, um, I could say I officially received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, although may have happened before then, but the official time, 59. Um, living with my grandparents at the time, 
for a year, then went back with the rest of the family thereafter. Uh, grew up in a family where my parents uh, been in the ministry themselves. My dad been an evangelist, started when I was two, and he passed away a couple of years ago now. He was 93, so been a part of that legacy for a while. Um, of course, we were a part of his evangelistic team, myself being one of the musicians in the family. We were a part of his team, my dad's team. And by the time uh, military age came along, I was drafted, went to a um, training base in Nevada, then went to Vietnam in 67 and 68. Came back uh, in 68, it's amazing, in 67, between duty stations, between training and Vietnam, I was back home in Detroit where I grew up. That's when the riots broke out in July of 67. So I was right in the middle of that. Then went to Vietnam with only nine months active duty left. And April of 68 is when Martin Luther King was killed. I was on the Mekong Delta at that time. Leaving the rest that were on a small craft uh, on the river getting back to Detroit. So in the ministry um, in 74, I, I had a an experience in the Lord that catapulted me into the street. So I was a street evangelist from 74 to 77 while I was working a part-time job. But in 77, I went into what is called full-time ministry I left my occupation as a building contractor, an insurance adjuster, um, and a um, philanthropic leader. So um, from 77 to today, we've been in full-time ministry. We started opening up an office in the place I was born in Arkansas back in 78, then moved to Little Rock to start a pastoral ministry with my wife in 81, it'll be 39 years, uh, April 4th. And then from that point of pastoral ministry, we ventured out into global ministry when we started traveling uh, to Europe and Africa and Asia, the Caribbeans, Haiti, Canada, Mexico, etc. And we built an international office along with a campus, with a school from K to 12th grade. We've been in that particular Christian education uh, ministry for 30 years. Uh, and we're in the inner city right here in Little Rock on about 15 acres spread with about 16 different facilities. So we're in the hood trying to do some good. That's what the theme yeah, yeah, and, and and so with uh with your ministry, total outreach for Christ Ministries, and mm -hmm. so so what what's some what's some of the main things that you guys are focusing on with your ministry in whether it's you know some of the things that you're teaching or you know you you were saying that that you are um you know fo focused you know you are worldwide, but then you also do have local ministry. How, how is that all kind of like working out? Well, our our daily focus is our prayer ministry. Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. 
since May 5th, we've never not had a 6 a.m. prayer meeting Monday through Friday. That's our focus from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. and sometimes over or a lot of times over. Uh, and we pray for the city, the county, the state, the nation, the world. Um, also, locally, as well as Christian education, we are we're dealing with just ministering to people in general. We say we're in the hood to do some good. So we're in the inner city where we are used to be the most volatile place in the city. Made national headlines in the 90s when um, Lieutenant Governor Huckabee was Lieutenant Governor before he became the governor. Mm -hmm. uh, so our focus is on dealing with people in urban life. Yeah. Um, and that takes up quite a bit of time when we're not traveling. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now what, what, what are some of the main things that you feel like are, are really um, a bit like the big problem or something that you're needing to overcome or what, what, what's the main message that you're bringing to that community? Well, two, a dual message, one being uh, to the world, preaching the simplicity factor of Christ, letting people know that being a Christian is not being religious, is being totally born again, transformed, uh, renewed, just a new creation. And then th the other emphasis is discipleship, where, where the church is lacking in the revelation of what it means to be a new creation. We've written several books and one is entitled The Elimination of Erroneous Distinctions. Developing a new vocabulary for who we are in Christ to get the church to be what it is in terms of an expression, not just to be one in spirit, but be one thinking the same things and saying the same things and getting the good results. So that's our focus on what we have to overcome basically uh, in reaching the loss, you know, when you reach reach out to the loss, you become all things to all men. The son will be saved. So we have to act crazy sometimes <laughs> to win the crazy folks. Yeah. And then we have to act ethnic, cultural, class. You have to get into the slots. And that's not a good feeling, but that's something we have to do. That's why we believe in the spirit-filled life to overcome the challenges of being out of character, trying to win those that are in darkness. And then getting, snapping back to reality, dealing with the body of Christ, the church, and uh, get rid of all these uh, adjectives that modify our great nounness. Mm -hmm. And um, and so those two focus, two focuses. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting that you're that you're, that you're saying that kind of being being. Um you know, tr trying to, you know, re reach your local community, but then to a certain degree, not that you're having to fit in, but you're needing to make sure that you're being relatable, you know, to them. I, th I think it, I think is one of those things. What, what are some of the ways that you guys with your ministry are, you know, reaching into your community? And like you're saying, you know, you, you, sometimes you got to get crazy. Sometimes you got to do things out, you know, let's say out of the box. What are some of those things that you guys feel like you guys uh, need to do in order to reach your local community? The main thing is being available. Uh, not only do we minister in the community, we live in the community. I can look outside of my window in my office at home 
and see our gymnasium that we built, see our school, see part of the campus. And um, I can come outside of my front door and look right down the street, a block down the street, and see the center, the main center. And we have apartment buildings. So we are there and we are accessible. And that's, that's unusual because we are there and we are available seven days a week. And we even have those that are on site that live on campus. We have housing around the center uh, and living quarters in the center. So someone is always there, always available. Um, and I think that's one of our main features. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, now, uh, you know, you've you've got a book, and I just want to make sure I've got the title right. So, you've got the the theology of politics. So, what what was your inspiration for for writing that book, and and what's what's some of the main themes that you are really focusing with that? Well, that book was inspired by so many believers having this this worship experience on a Sunday. And then during election, on that Tuesday, they walk right into the booths and vote totally out of character. Don't have a clue as to what to do. They find themselves behind the queue when they get into the queue. Mm-hmm. Voting on a platform, voting for representation, that which is totally antithetical to re- uh, Christianity, the whole bit. So I wanted to write this book, and I titled it Theology of Politics, because behind all politics there is theology. And uh, what God thinks, or what people think about God, and what God thinks about people. So we put some definition in the book, what uh, Noah Webster said, politics and politicians, government and all that to be, um, just to help people snap out of it. Don't don't act religious one day and you're going to vote for people who advocate for abortion and same sex marriage. And um, your new creation with a welfare mentality. God says something about policies that govern our activities that we as one who live in the Constitutional Republic. Which when I grew up you know, kind of backpedaling a little bit. When I grew up, I wasn't interested in civics at all. Civics was a bad word for me. And so I know what a lot of the ministers think today yeah. in the urban life in the U.S. They're not, the only thing political in their minds, uh, it has to do with race and class and culture. And always reverting back to being disenfranchised, especially in the urban life. Say, um, you know, we, we have to uh, vote for people who are going to do something for us. So the theology of politics tells us God that did something for us through Christ. Mm-hmm. And to act like that hadn't been done is to act totally out of character. Theology of politics. As a matter of fact, I have a copy of it here. And I just put... Uh, together a few headliners <laughs> dealing with family, education, marketplace, advocacy, etc. And the, one of the covers, can you see that? Oh, yep, yeah. that's coming in. Yeah, perfect. 
Okay. And um, one of the things I emphasized, especially because of my background, where I came from, that I'm no longer, <laughs> and that's um, when it's when it comes to um, race and class and culture, and dealing with the marketplace. We deal with capitalism versus kingdom theonomics. We deal with um, marketing blackness. I grew up in the um, time in which H. Rap Brown, Huey, and uh, uh, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, all the rest of them. You know, I was out listening to Martin Luther King at Cobra Hall in Detroit with his speech. I was a part of a religious organization that had Martin Luther King's last message he preached at their headquarters in Memphis. Mm -hmm. So, but I really wanted to reach the community, not only uh, of the body of Christ, the church, but those that believe they're yet black. And that's what they want to be. They want to be colored. They want to be Negro. They want to be African-American, they want to be black, uh, and then market that or have it marketed by people who take advantage of them, like of Jesse uh, Jackson and uh, Al Sharpton and people like that. They're hustlers, race hustlers. Yeah. So this book was for that purpose, uh, along with dealing with drugs. You know, I said there are two types of drug dealers, one on the corner and one across the counter. One's regulated by the bangers, and the other is by the government. So to help people get off of drugs, whether they're prescription drugs or uh, other types of drugs. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, and, and I and I feel like in general too, there's there's this, uh, and this is you know our our book that we that we recently put out was called Social Injustice, and it's a lot of this a lot of similar themes in the sense of. It seems like there's this mentality that's really spreading across a lot of the country of it's kind of a victim mentality. It's it's that we feel like we're owed something by somebody else. Um, and we see that a lot with, you know, expecting expecting th- handouts from the government. We You know, we're, we're even seeing that right now with this bailout that's going on right now of, you know, it, it's a big government solution instead of a, some, like us being able to take responsibility for ourselves. Um, how do how do you see a lot of these a lot of these big government um, solutions to our problems today? Well, you did ask me, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> so, well, I, I think government has a limited purpose, and it's primarily set up, and it's by God to protect the liberties that are God given. And if it's a good government, then it allows people to um, express themselves in ways that they're gifted, talented, trained, prepared, what have you. Uh, But when government superimposes itself upon communities and upon mentalities, um, it shackles, it limits, it hinders, it makes people lazy. And the church has that as well, that that welfare mentality, that lazy mentality, one handouts. And I found that out through um, faith-based initiatives 
it, it sounds good up front, but then when what comes with the uh, shekels come shackles. So as far as the government bailouts of industry and now individuals, individuals are going to become expectant. Once you start getting a little taste of what they might think is free money, but somebody's going to pay the bill sooner right. or later. And um, having asked me that, I always, from a child, believed in the hustle. I had my shoe shine kit box, you know, when I was a boy. Mm-hmm. I was cutting the grass, working in the supermarket. I was making, I was making big money back then, 50, 50 cents an hour. Oh man, I was, I was bringing it down. Oh yeah. And um, then when I became an adult, working at Ford Motor Company. Look, I, I thought the sky was the limit. But Ford was paying me $13 an hour in 1966. And I thought that that wasn't uh, where I wanted to be stuck. I could have worked there for 30 years, retired 20 years ago, and bringing in maybe three to $4,000 a month income with retirement, Social Security, and all the other perks. So government intrusion is what it's amounting to. And I think this is going to be a big reset when all those dollars are exp- are given out mm-hmm. uh, and people don't know that uh, there's some shackles coming with those shackles yeah yeah well and I, th- and I think that one of the things that i think that you know that i've been saying quite quite often too is that th- like this you know even looking at this bailout that's going on right now you know, where it's you know they're basically selling it as free money. It's not just a Democrat versus Republican thing, because both Republicans and Democrats are pushing for this. It's It seems like it's this big government mentality that they need to be the solutions. And, and it starts making me think, in people's minds, in Americans' minds, is the government replacing God for who we have faith in? And I think that, that, that is a, that's a concern for me. Um, what do you think about something like that? Well, they both start with G.O., but they stop right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, one has a V and one has a D. <laughs> so, um, and this, this government has to overcome the temptation to, to um, uh, control the masses. And that's what socialism does. That's what communism does. That's what dictatorship, that, that's what they do. Um, and it's it's a very volatile scenario right now. And I know the man in office right now, he's between a rock and a hard place, and he has to do something. But I'm just telling people, especially Christians, I say now, God is not ill affected by famine or by the economy. And I say we should be living basically on a whole different system without blowing our trumpet about it. Capitalism is a good system for the natural man. But divine biblical theonomics, divine biblical theonomics is for the believer, the newborn person. So we don't work, the, the government work in percentages. God works in foliage. He says you get a hundredfold return max, 36 and a hundredfold. If you get a 100% return from the government investments, government handouts, and all this kind of stuff, um, it's limited. You got to work yourself to the grave. 
But if we understand what God has put in place for the believer, once we become born again in the kingdom of God, uh, you got to, it's, your living is made in the shade. That's in Psalm 91, under the shadow of the Almighty, under mm-hmm. the feathers. Yeah. That's in the shade. So when you go to work, like Paul said, we work with our hands that we may have to give to others. I'm, our living is already made. He says, as far as what you're going to eat and drink, wherewithal you shall be clothed, he said, take no thought. Don't even think about it. How many Christians do you know that don't even think about what we're going to eat? Yeah. I mean, they're running. It's a run on toilet paper, not to mention what you're going to eat. Right. So, so God and government. Uh, if we don't believe God like He wants us to believe, we're not going to handle government. Even if we are in government, we're not going to function uh, properly. Mm-hmm. So we need a superimposition of divinity upon our humanity in government to get the max out of government. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and I think it's one of those things, too, like as believers and as Christians, I think like this is our opportunity to show, hey, we do have faith in God. So we, we're not going to freak out in this situation You could because we know God is in control. He's he he he's he has his plan that's being implemented and we can trust in him as opposed to. In, as opposed to freaking out and and trying to quote unquote trust in the government for a handout, and in all reality, let let's say let's say this bailout that's going on right now, so so they send out twelve hundred dollars. Like that's that'll that's not like that's going to solve everybody's problems. And so I think that what we need to remember is, hey, God's in control. We as Christians, we can be calm, we can be peaceful because we know He's going to provide and He's going to get us through that, as opposed to replacing God with the government. Well, I'll tell you what that $1,200 will do. It's going to make you mad. <laughs> it's going to upset you. Because the expectation is not its not going to be fulfilled. It's kind of remind me when I um, came out of the military as a Vietnam veteran, they gave us an extra check for our services in hazardous duty pay. And when the check came, it was for $600. I said, now, wait a minute. I risked my life for the government. And this is what he's saying. I'm giving you $600. Thank you. That's the way the $1,200 is going to be. Mm-hmm. People are going to be, when they finally get it and it's gone in a day and a half, they're going to get upset. And people are going to be more dissatisfied after they get the money than they were before they got it. So personally, what I've done, uh, I opted out of but government benefits, so, uh, what you call, now, Social Security checks come every month. I don't get them. I let them go somewhere else. For the years I've been getting them, I've not cashed the one. They go somewhere else. Medicare, Medicaid, I said, look, I don't want it. They said, well, wait a minute. If you don't want it, then you have to sign documentation. I said, let me sign right here. That's a boo 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 boo. Come to find out, they took out of Medicare a certain amount and put it into Social Security. And then when I opt out of Medicare, they put the money back into Social Security. I didn't know I was even paying for my own Social Security. So everybody's paying. Nothing's free. So 
I'm a vet. I can go to the veterans hospital. But the only reason I go now is to pray for people. If I get sick, I'm not going there because I discovered that the word produces faith. If we say we believe God, what, how did you come to believe him? You just can't say, I believe God. The word says, so faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, tell me what word you have for what you say you believe in the context in which we speak. If you don't have what God says about it, don't tell me you believe God. You believe yourself <laughs> and yourself will let you set yourself down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and I feel like I feel like for Americans in general, we're very self-reliant. And, and I think especially com- compared to other countries and other places where they where they are struggling with poverty. And I, and I think that a lot of times we forget how good we have it. And we always think, oh, it could be better. Mm-hmm. It, could, it, sh- it should be better. And I think a lot of times maybe we get complacent. And then we start getting this entitlement feeling, and that might be contributing to a to a lot of this as well. Of you know, like like I, w- I was telling my wife the other day that um, you know we're all on lockdown out here. You know, I live out here in California. We're all on lockdown. Everybody's complaining that they can't go out. But then I started thinking, somebody in let's say another country or a third world country, th- like they would trade everything to be locked down in California. And, and I think to a certain degree, there's that kind of complacency and entitlement that we have that as believers, we need we need to kind of keep in check, um, which may be a huge contributing factor to a lot of what we're seeing right now in our country. Mm-hmm. Well, like you said, people are complaining about being locked in in third world countries. They're locked out. <laughs> they don't even have a place to go in or to be locked in. Right. And I, I always say that it would do good for a lot of people in America to go to some of these other places and spend a month or so. Go, you know, go go to Haiti, not as a tourist, but get into the realism factor. Go go there. Go. go. I've been to India many times. Go go to certain parts of India. There are more people that live outdoors in India than the whole population of the United States of America. They don't even have a roof over their heads. Their plates are banana leaves. You know? They don't have toilet paper. They use their left hand, you know, with a little cup of a little water. They find some water to clean up with. No, we need to go somewhere and see something and uh, get touched by it. The complaints fall off. When we get back here, we'll thank God that we live here, number one, and number two, that we realize that to whom much is given, much will be required. On that day, God's going to judge us for having lived in America, as opposed to living in North Korea. You see, mm-hmm. He expects much more out of us than the underground church in China. Yep. We're peeing over that. You know, this, this guy's gone. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, and, and I think I think too. There, there's this there's there's a problem right now with with the church is not taking responsibility for itself again in general you know in the overall scheme of things like where where is the gospel preaching because I feel like churches a lot of times have become very complacent as well and we're not actually providing the answer to the world what what's happening is a lot of these pastors are actually coming out and they're they're almost like feeding into this uh, you know, uh, social justice mentality or feeding into this entitlement mentality. 
And I think that, you know, that that is that's a huge contributing factor as well of just the church is not being the sound biblical voice of reason here. Well, preaching the gospel, the twofold, I call it twofold gospel. Mm -hmm. Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to get the unredeemed redeemed uh, requires no on him better than we do as simply Savior. We have to know him as Lord, and he's given us marching orders. But so many of us believers don't see him as Lord. We see him as Savior, but not Lord. He, don't, he doesn't call the shots. We don't check in. We don't punch in on a daily basis in prayer and say, what's, what's the order of the day? The order of the day is to communicate with someone the person of Christ. This, 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 you know, if you don't know him that well, you can't say too much about him. So I say there's a gospel of Jesus Christ. There's the gospel of the kingdom. John came preaching it. Jesus came preaching it. The disciples came preaching it. And Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom will be preached into the whole world for witness before the income. Then shall the income. So we preach the person of Christ and we can do no better job in doing so than we know him. We have to know him, like Paul said, and the power of his resurrection. And then when we know him in the power of his resurrection, then we don't mind being in the fellowship of his suffering. Because when you start preaching to heathens, pagans, sinners, uh, you might get some backlash. That's where the suffering comes in. And who wants to suffer? I mean, right. who really wants to suffer? Yep. Now, now with uh, now when you're talking about like the gospel of the kingdom, what what are you ta- what are you talking about specifically there that we should be preaching? Well, there are rules and regulations that should be governing our lives as believers. When Jesus said, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand," he says, "Change the way you think, for the rules and regulations that govern the heavens have come to govern your life now." And the rules and regulations that govern your life now. Um, goes beyond a hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That's under the law. The rules and regulations that govern the kingdom now, and we preach, are rules that we can't keep. Absolutely can't keep. So he says, what I want you to do is realize that the rules that govern the kingdom that you ought to be preaching starts with a crucified life. That means you got to have a great visitation of the cross. And got to conclude yourself crucified with him so that the life you live is not yours as his being lived in you by the faith of the son of God. So the kingdom is not like this. Hey, look at me. No, no. This kingdom is see the Christ that I'm speaking of. Like Paul mentioned in Galatians four. Um, well, actually, chapter one and verse 15 and following, he says, when it pleased God who separated me from a mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathens. He says, I want to preach a person that I want you to see. Not just hear, but see. And then I want to give you some rules and regulations that govern your life that says, if you're not living a crucified life, not only will you not be effective and fruitful, but you'll be frustrated in your limitations. That's kingdom. Living a crucified life. Living in resurrection. 
Christ brings deliverance when you preach it. The kingdom brings stability when you preach it. So the devil won't be running you out of town. And I call it, um, um, I used to call it, I don't call it that way anymore. Back in the 60s, I called it white flight. People leave the inner city, build the suburbs, and wait until people see the suburbs and start licking their chops and want to get out there. So people go out there, the flight takes place. Then the people who built suburbs come back to the inner city where commerce is Mm -hmm. and all the conveniences and where government is and all that. So the kingdom are rules and regulations that bring about stability for not only individuals, but for cities. That's why the Lord told me years and years ago, uh, using the um, this example of, of the Old Testament for the Levites, he says, the cities can be redeemed at any time, but the fields in their suburbs shall not be sold because they become a perpetual inheritance for those who redeem the city. So you can't redeem the city. It's too much too much control there. They're called principalities that manipulate the municipalities, that manipulate the people, the population. So unless you have some power in your message, and the kingdom message is a message of power, you see. Mm-hmm. The powers of the heavens have come to bear influence upon your locality. And so when the enemy wanted to come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord lift up a standard against them. We're not going anywhere. You're not running us out of town. We'll be here. Right. Yeah. Now, now do you, now do you, do you, do you feel like, uh, do you feel like, you know, the, these rules and regulations are these things that you feel like should be what's ruling the Christian's life? Or do you feel like those should be things that we're implementing into our local governments in our cities and that sort of thing? Cause that's one of the debates that a lot of Christians are having is this idea of, of theonomy when it comes to politics and actually implementing what we believe into our local communities and laws and regulations and that sort of thing. Well, there are two sets of rules. There are rules that govern the natural man and rules that govern the spiritual man. Now, the rules and regulations that govern the natural man, you can be, you can find those in the Ten Commandments. You can find those under the law. And uh, that is to, to put natural man in check so it won't kill off one another and misuse and abuse one another and that type of thing. So the Ten Commandments should be in every public place. But that's not for the Christian. That's not for the believer. The scripture says the law is for the lawless. That's what Paul said. And he was speaking of the Mosaic law, actually. Mm-hmm. So, but the laws that govern the kingdom for the believer, they're totally impossible, even for the believer. So Christ, if he's not living his life in us, we're not keeping those rules and regulations that govern his kingdom. So in the courtrooms, in the public schools, in public places, those thou shall not um, steal, thou shall not kill, covers your neighbor's wife, all this kind of stuff. That should be a part of governance for the natural man. But people who are godless don't want it. They want their flesh to be free. 
But um, yeah, that's the difference. Two sets of rules. Mm-hmm. One for the natural man, unredeemed. The other for the spiritual man to, to remind him that he can't live it. Yeah, Christ got to live it in and through us. Yeah, yeah, and and that makes perfect sense. Now, now, what what do you think? What do you think is contributing to a lot of of let's say the entitlement mentality? among the church and among Christians because because you know it's it's one thing like you like we're kind of like separating out you know believers versus not believers and in how and how we're to be acting and the rules and regulations that apply and that sort of thing but it seems like there's becoming a bigger and bigger push of having this entitlement mentality of expecting things from other people or you know pitting the rich against the poor or you know having different classes of people and the feeling oppressed like what do you think is contributing to that within the church specifically it's called poor discipleship. Poor discipleship. Sunday school is a failure. You mean you're going to go to Bible training once a week for 30 minutes or 45 minutes and expect to live a life that's separate from sinners? It's not going to happen. Discipleship is meeting every day in prayer and the word. And as Peter said, it, desiring the sincere miracle of the word that you might grow thereby. He says, growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all these exceeding great and precious promises are through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue that are kept for us by his power. Poor discipleship. This is why the believers are thinking carnally like the world. And entitlement is just a part of the flesh mess. And so as far as $1,200, I don't want it. I just simply don't want it. So suppose they just force it on you. Well, I'll seed it. I'll plant it somewhere because that's a part of theonomics. Um, given it shall be given unto you good measure pressed down shaking together running over shall men give unto your bosom for what, whatever measure you meet with all shall be measured to you again simply meaning our standard of living is based on our standard of giving but in the church mentality the church anity and religiosity factor you have people who are arm twisted and they give out of that sort of a mindset so they're not really blessed in their giving the scripture says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. When the last time you found a person acting more excited about giving than receiving? And one of the reasons being is that the discipleship program is off. Discipleship is a daily thing. And the one who's doing the discipling has to open him or herself up to those that are being discipled so that the person being discipled can know how what he's being taught is to be lived out. So I see what you're saying. But if the preacher is not available, you can't even eat at his home. I tell folk, look, if you can't eat at your pastor's home, he's not pastoring you. Right. If you can't break bread at his table at his home, you're not being pastored. You may have him as a teacher, but not a pastor. Yep. No, I I, I, to- I totally agree. And I had I had on uh, a friend of mine on my podcast uh, a couple of months ago. His name is Bob Picard. He's a pastor at a small church, and we were really discussing. Um, you know, some of the problems with like the big, larger, like mega churches and that sort of thing. And one of the things that we were discussing was this very idea that 
when when you're going to a church and you're just propping up a let's say we're going to call him a teacher up on stage you're not actually going through life with him you're not mm-hmm. at, you're not seeing him living out what he's preaching and whereas a lot of these let's say like a smaller church where you're going and you're actually seeing your pastor walk through life he's actually he's actually exemplifying what it is that he's preaching that's a whole that's a whole different thing that I think is vitally important to the church that's missing a lot when we've got these like TV preachers and pe- and people up on stage in multi thousand you know person auditoriums and that sort of thing, um, and and I think that that's going along a little bit with what what you're talking about of it's like daily discipleship you're walking through life with your church family even with your pastor, um, and that might be you know a you know big contributing factor to it, a lot of this as well. Yeah, there's something that the uh, apostle Paul wrote to his son Timothy. And uh, I'll just read that. Uh, He says uh, in 2 Timothy 3, uh, verse 14, he says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. He says the reason why you know that you know what you know, because you know the person who told you so. And that's the only way we can really grow uh, experientially and exponentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I'm to- to- totally, totally with you there. Uh, now, now, I think, you know, like kind of as we're moving forward and we're going through this craziness with, uh, with coronavirus and then, you know, we're seeing more reliance on the government and we're seeing, we're seeing, you were seeing all of this happening. What what's the main message and what's the main focus that believers need to be having in order to be that light shining in darkness um, in this crazy crazy time? Corona and a crisis. Um, the scripture says, "The curse calls less shall not come." In other words, where there's a curse, there's a cause, and we know the coronavirus is a curse. It's, um, I said, it's either implemented by our adversary, the devil, or it's supported by God himself. Uh, Regardless, as Christians, it, it comes to test our knowledge of Christ, who lives inside by his spirit. It comes to test our level of devotion and whether we are truly, uh, worthy of handling the title of being called Christian or being Christ-like. I also said that this is separating the people who really have faith from those who've been faking it. It's not faith, it's faking. Um, Job said the thing that that I greatly feared has come to me, the thing that I was afraid of, of has come unto me. I say now faith in the face of coronavirus, is no different than a cold. Just no different. The only thing that seemed to be differently uh, in experiencing this this virus is the fear factor. And the fear factor is a magnet is a magnet that's drawing down upon the suke, the soul, your emotions, the mindset of people and we're bringing things on ourselves 
Um, I'm not a doctor, medical, so I can't speak professionally, but I can, with some degree of certainty, say that so many of these people that are tested positive, um, they were out of sorts to even contract it. And I can't get into the theological part of it, but in our inner man, it's called the spirit man, that's been recreated, regenerated, germinated, partakers of the, of the divine nature. Christ lives in us. He that is born of the spirit is spirit. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Christ lives on the inside. He's a hidden man of the heart. And that spirit man has to renew his mind. Paul said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man. So coronavirus comes to knock at our doors and say, are you walking in newness of life? Do you have the new man on? Have you put on the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you out here making provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof? It just caught the church with kind of like, you know, the diapers down. And so it's time for the church to repent of shadowness and thinking that going to a Sunday morning service and watching your watch, looking at your watch, if the sermon goes over 20 minutes, you have a problem because you have a soccer game, the basketball game comes on. Well, God is saying, I, I'm, look, judgment begins at the house of God. So Christians should take this coronavirus more serious than the world does. And especially if we're fearful as much as unredeemed people are, because we have the life of God on the inside. And Paul says, um, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely, entirely. And I pray, God, that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless without without a defect, you see. John says, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health, even as your soul prosper. So the prosperous soul is put on display during the coronavirus. If the soul is not prosperous, there's going to be a problem. And the soul cannot be prosperous or transformed without the mind being renewed. So Paul says in Romans, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Not a dead, dying one, but a living one. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or test out to see what's the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The coronavirus comes to tell us where we are in, in the things of God for the believer. And as far as lockdown, look, we pray every Monday through Friday, 6 a.m., whether it's a tornado or earthquake, ice storm, a bomb threat, um, regardless to what it is, we've never not had a 6 a.m. prayer meeting in 40 years. And so for the people that have not been praying, the scripture says men are always to pray and not think, pray with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, watching there too with all perseverance, pray without ceasing. If we've not been praying, 
it's hard to do in a crisis. We can cry out, oh, woe is me. I'm undone. Unclean lips, been talking smack, living sloppy, gopping, greasy grace. <laughs> so this is coming to knock at our door and says, um, are you on lockdown? I say, I wish I would be. Are you, are you going to obey government? And I said, no, the government's going to obey me. Because the scripture tells me that Christ, when he comes, the government will be upon his shoulder. That's his body. Now, I just happen to believe that. So when the gang, let me just go back a moment here. Sure. When the gang banging took place back in the 90s, and Lieutenant Governor Huckabee called me, said, will you come and get a word and, and give us a word and pray over this joint session? Because we have to deal with this gang violence, the Crips, the blood. It's national news now. So okay. So I went to the governor's, the lieutenant governor's office, sat in his office behind his desk, waiting on the call to come out on the floor. Went out on the floor. You got the Senate and the House meeting together, special session. I quoted the scripture in Ecclesiastes. I say, when a sentence is not speedily executed, the hearts of the sons of men are fully set in them to do evil. I prayed over them. Huckabee gave the chair to the opposition and in a matter of weeks, he was the new governor. Co coronavirus is no more than dealing with the gangs. No more than dealing with uh, other catastrophic or social up upheaval. But if the church has not been praying, they're not ready to deal with it. Now, they may shut down all the other ministers and say, you do it on Skype or on live stream and so forth. I said, no, I'm going to do it like I've always been doing it. And, and if you come to arrest me, I'm going to invite you to sit down, the police, the FBI, CIA, sheriff, sit down and let me finish my message. And then if you want to take me after that, look, I'll go and open the door for you when we get there. So it's to challenge whether we really believe God like we say we do. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and the answer is obviously not quite like we ought to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, 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 I th and I think kind of going along with that, too, is like when push comes to shove and there is a crisis and there is, you know, whether it's perceived or real or, you know, whatever it is. It, it it's like you were saying, it's really putting our faith to the test in the sense of have we been praying? A lot of people now they're praying, but have they been praying leading up to this? I think I think is the question. Like where where is your heart or are you only waiting until there's a crisis? Are you only waiting until there's a difficulty to turn to God or are you turning to God on a daily basis? And that's one of the things that, you know, I, I really appreciate the fact that like you're saying, like for 40 years, you guys have been meeting every morning at 6 a.m. for prayer. I mean, that's vitally important. It's not waiting until there's a problem and then you meet at 6 a.m. in the morning for prayer. Yeah, I, I consider the prayers, a lot of the prayers that are going on now, I call them the Y2K prayers, you see. And uh, once this passes over, it's back to business as usual. Mm -hmm. Back to Hollywood, back to the games, back to whatever we do. Not having really... That's what the, the book of Judges is all... That's, that's what it's all about. <laughs> the Israelites crying out, oh, 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 the Philistines, oh, 
Millie Nitro. And then he raises up a judge, comes in, bring him out. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then it's business as usual. Uh, and that's not good. It's We're living in a time like no other time in the history of humanity. When you have the, you have the, uh, uh, what do you want to call Russia? You want to call it the, the big grizzly bear? You want to mm-hmm. at China, the big dragon? You want to look at Iran, the leopard? You want to look at uh, all these, 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 look, I don't want to be caught with my pants down. This is serious stuff. And coronavirus, like I said, I think it's just chemical warfare that China is upset and they're just doing its thing. Don't mind losing 100 million people itself as long as they can get to you. Mm-hmm. Now, now, kind of, kind of as we're as we're wrapping up as well. If you if you could have one message that you want to encourage the church with. As a lot, a lot of the country is on lockdown. You know, we're not supposed to be leaving the house. We're, you know, supposed to be staying in. You know, we're all kind of isolated from each other. But what would be your one main message that you want to get out there to uh, the the broader church in general? Well, if you're on lockdown and you believe you ought to be, stay there. Stay on lockdown. Get in the Word. Get on your knees. Develop your prayer closet. And conclude that you're not going to come out the way you went in. Just purpose before God, Lord, you can't you can't leave me this way. This this is totally unacceptable. I repent. Help me to know how to pray, to study your word. Help me to walk in your power as well as your grace. I mean, come out a different way. Uh, if you don't come out a different way, then it's going to be worse when we come out. So that's my message for the church. And for those who are standing strong and they're going to get criticism from the rest of the church, uh, you ought to obey the law and all this kind of thing. If you're doing what you've always been doing, somebody know it. The government knows it. You know, you're no secret. So just take courage. Like Paul says, uh, my afflictions that was left behind, I endure for the body's sake. And what I do and when I go through what I go through is for your glory. So those of us who are on the front lines and we're not backing up not one iota or a centimeter, just boom, just be, be encouraged because people need a standard. They need somebody that's not selling wolf tickets. Somebody that's really, truly uh, not trying to be something. Not We're not being any more than we've been all the time. So come out differently. And if you're standing, stand. Mm-hmm. So when this all turns around, uh, I think God can pull out and, and then pray for the president. I didn't like him before he got in there. You know, he, he was too much for me. But I vetted him after he got in there. I didn't vet him before. Now, do you know what his grandmother's name is? I don't know. 
Her name is Elizabeth Christ Trump. His father's name is Frederick Christ Trump. The big revival in Europe years and years ago, they were impacted by that revival. Trump is just a prodigal son out there doing his thing and didn't see the lighthouse until he got to the White House. The man is being transformed before our eyes. So I say, and then we're only a week apart in terms of age. I'm one week older than he is. June 7th, he's June 14th, mm-hmm. 46. I say, this man, if God wasn't on his side, he'd be dead by now. So I conclude Trump is a man of God. Pray for him. Take your mouth off of him. He's doing you a favor. Mm-hmm. For sure. T- totally agree. Now, now, mm-hmm. uh, if, if people want to, uh, you know, get more information on you, your ministry, keep up on, you know, anything that you're teaching or anything like that, what's the best way for them to get plugged in with, uh, with what you're doing over there? Well, uh, the Robert E. Smith Sr. Facebook page. We're on six days a week. The morning manner that matters at uh, 6.30 a.m. Central Time. They can catch a word uh, from our teachers, myself. Or they can uh, just call us. And we we travel the world. We'll go around the world for one person. Mm -hmm. And um, what what do you say, uh, Dr. Um, Administrator? Here's a mailing address. Um, Oh, that's the internet mailing address. Info.tofchristm. Info.tofchristm. At gmail. At gmail.com. Yeah. That's how you can write us. And we'll respond. Um... We do sessions all over the place, new man sessions, overcomers conferences. Now we're coming out with this um, Aquila and Priscilla conference on um, marriage and ministry. Just wrote, just finished writing a book on that. Very cool. Get these marriages that are upside down and ministries that are downside up, getting things right like it ought to be. We're having those sessions. So. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. I, I, again, guys, I highly encourage you, you know, uh, check them out, you know, go to the website, send, send them any questions, emails, that sort of thing as well. But I, I really enjoyed you coming on. I really enjoyed our conversation. I, I think it's, it's, it's an important conversation to have dealing with a lot of these issues, especially as we're facing right now as a country. So I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. And then for, for everybody else as well, if you guys want more information on us, you guys can go to gatekeepersonline.com. Uh, we are going to be back tomorrow with another conversation. We're having uh, Dustin Faulkner on tomorrow. Uh, we're going to go in the afternoon. Uh, again, he's the host of Battlefront Southgate. Um, and again, just we're trying to get more guests, more conversations, um, and really kind of dive into a lot of these uh, important topics. So thanks so much for tuning in. And uh, yeah, we will see you guys here uh, tomorrow.
This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. The HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org.